This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. In this episode, I'll wrap up the series Infamous Locales with a strange and sad story that took place at the Cecil Hotel in 2013. A young student goes missing from the hotel while visiting from Canada. Where she is found and the strange and disturbing last sightings of her caught on the hotel's video surveillance camera would become a thing of legend and an enduring mystery that is still debated to this day. Join me for the story of the mysterious death of Elisa Lam. Elisa Lam was 21 years old in the winter of 2013 when she decided to take a trip from her home in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, to the United States to visit California. Elisa's parents, originally from Hong Kong, settled in Burnaby and opened a restaurant before Elisa was born. Elisa grew up in the suburbs of Vancouver. After high school, she enrolled at the University of British Columbia. However, as 2013 was beginning, Elisa had yet to enroll for the winter semester. According to her blog and Tumblr account posts, she was feeling somewhat adrift. She wrote about feeling alone. Sometimes she shared very deep and unhappy thoughts on her blog titled Ether Fields. One of her last posts on the blog in the spring of 2012 read, I spent about two days in bed hating myself. At some point, Elisa was diagnosed with depression and bipolar disorder. She received treatment and began taking several medications to help her stay balanced, but her moods would often fluctuate, something she wrote about in her blog posts. In July of 2012, the last post on her blog directed readers to a Tumblr account. She was switching over to Tumblr, where she said she was much more active, but announced she'd keep her blog open as, quote, a reminder of what I was thinking. Both her blog and her Tumblr accounts can still be viewed online. At the top of her Tumblr page, which she titled Nouvelle Nouveau, she posted a quote by writer Chuck Palahniuk, which reads, You're always haunted by the idea you're wasting your life. Interspersed with fashion photos and graphic art posts, Elisa's writing and quotes give insights into her thoughts and feelings. When I'm lying in my bed, I think about life and I think about death, and neither one particularly appeals to me, read one. She also wrote about having no motivation, not completing her college coursework, and being unable to get out of bed. She criticized herself for being lazy and wrote about being disappointed in herself. She was also worried that by not completing classes, she might be jeopardizing her chances to attend a graduate program. Then there are other posts that focus on what she likes about herself, like her ability to push herself forward to try new things and her sense of adventure. A couple of times I've been called on to do things, jobs or whatever, she wrote in 2012, where I felt, maybe I'm not quite ready. Maybe it's a little early for this to happen to me. But the rules are so ingrained. Say yes, and you'll figure it out afterward, has helped me to be more adventurous. It has definitely helped me be less afraid. Her writing also points to failed relationships, but also her ability and sometimes her preference to be alone. My alone feels so good. I'll only have you if you're sweeter than my solitude, read one such post. Elisa was adventurous and okay on her own, and so she decided to take a solo trip to California. 
She wrote about her plans on her Tumblr account on January 12th. Perhaps she needed a change of scenery, or to get out of the rut she felt she'd fallen into. Whatever her reasons were, she departed for what she called her West Coast tour on January 22, 2013, planning to visit San Diego, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, and San Francisco. She promised her parents to call home every day she was away. Elisa's first stop was in San Diego, where she seemed to be enjoying herself. On January 24th, she wrote, Today I slept, took a long hot shower, stuffed myself silly with a $3 dinner. It has been most productive and enjoyable. I seriously have done nothing in San Diego that is out of my normal routine at home. Then she wrote in all caps, I do what I want. On January 26th, Elisa Lamb arrived in Los Angeles. She checked into the Cecil Hotel, which had now been rebranded the Stay on Main. Elisa Lamb checked into the Cecil on January 26th. She had reserved a room for five nights, planning to check out of the hotel on January 31st to begin the next leg of her trip to the beach town, Santa Cruz. Elisa was booked into a shared room. The stay on Main now rented cheap rooms to students and other budget travelers who shared their sleeping quarters and bathrooms with others to cut down on costs. However, after two days, her roommates complained to the management of Elisa's, quote, certain odd behavior, unquote. What this meant has never been clearly explained, but the result was that she was moved to a private room on the fourth floor. Nothing much out of the ordinary is shared in her posts during her time in Los Angeles. She writes about arriving in the city and describes a nearby Art Deco-style building that she considers gaudy. Another post reads, I'm going out tonight. I really hope no creeper comes near me. She goes on to say that some men she's encountered have come on to her aggressively if she gives the slightest inclination, but she doesn't name anyone in particular. Of course, this is commonly experienced by many women, whether or not they are traveling alone. She doesn't seem overly concerned, just a bit annoyed. Elisa must have gone out and enjoyed herself, because the following day she posted, the speakeasy was awesome. Although she laments that she, quote, lost a cell phone, she explains that the phone didn't belong to her, but was a BlackBerry lent to her by a friend. On January 28th, the day she was moved to a private room, Elisa posted the following. I wish I could put part of my brain into a taped shut box and shove it to the back of my closet for the night. Another read, my laptop screen is brighter than my future. On January 31st, the day she was to check out of the hotel, she was last seen at a bookstore located across the street from the Cecil. The manager, Kate Orphan, spoke to the young college student and said that she seemed to be in good spirits, describing Elisa as lively and friendly as she purchased gifts to take home to her family. The last known sighting of Elisa Lamb on January 31, 2013, would be captured on one of the hotel's video surveillance cameras. But this information would not emerge for two weeks. Elisa did not call her parents as she had without fail every day since the beginning of her trip. They immediately became worried that something was wrong and contacted the LAPD to report their daughter missing. They also flew to Los Angeles right away to search for her. Police conducted a search of the hotel, but did not check every room as they were not authorized to do so without probable cause that a crime had been committed. They searched her room and brought in canines to help them search throughout the building. 
they did not find anything suspicious. There was no sign of Elisa. On February 6th, almost a week after she disappeared, the police widened the search, posting flyers throughout the city and broadcasting Elisa Lam's photo and description on media outlets. Still, there was no sign of her. Then after another week with no leads, the LAPD released a video captured on the hotel's surveillance camera the day she went missing. The camera, which was positioned in one of the hotel's elevators, captured the last known movements of Elisa Lam inside the Cecil Hotel, or anywhere else after that date. The video, released to the public, went viral due to what can only be described as mysterious and bizarre behavior exhibited by Elisa. It was downloaded over 3 million times in the first 10 days after its release and has had millions more views since then. I will briefly describe Elisa Lam's behavior and actions in the elevator, but I've also included a link to the video in the show notes so you can view it for yourself if you wish. The camera captures the inside of the elevator from its placement on the top left corner facing down. Part of the hotel corridor in front of the elevator can also be seen when the door is open. Elisa enters wearing a red hooded sweatshirt, a gray t-shirt, and black shorts. She is alone. She leans over the control panel that is on the wall on the inside of the elevator and purposefully seems to press several buttons before stepping back and standing in the corner of the elevator. The door fails to close. She moves to the front of the elevator and sticks her head out of the door and looks in both directions. No one else can be seen in the hallway. She steps back into the elevator and now backs up to the far wall, as if hiding from someone. The door continues to stay open. She walks tenuously back out to the open door, standing for several seconds at the threshold. She then suddenly steps outside into the hall. No one else seems to be present. She moves sideways in front of the elevator, leaning on the wall in the hallway directly to the left of the elevator door. Her right arm is still visible in the doorway. She then looks to be raising her arm above her head, and after a few seconds, returns to the inside of the elevator. As she steps in, her arms are raised in almost a surrender-like pose. She goes back to the elevator panel and begins pushing several buttons again, using both hands to do so. This continues for several seconds. She does not, however, look at the elevator door as she's pushing buttons, which continues to remain open. She walks back out of the elevator once again and stands to the side. She then turns to her right and begins fanning her hands out in front of her, making movements with them as if pawing at the air, for no apparent reason. She is still the only one in view in the video. She continues to make motions with her hands and fingers in the air, almost like she's using sign language, but is also rocking back and forth with her body. She then turns to face forward again, and a couple of seconds later walks left, out of the view of the camera. She is not seen again. A full 20 seconds elapses before the elevator door finally closes. 13 seconds later, it opens again, but no one can be seen in front of the elevator. It is unknown if she was still standing outside near the elevator call buttons and pushed it again. If so, she does not enter again and is not captured on camera. Several seconds go by, and the elevator doors close once more. It opens a few seconds later, apparently on another floor, as the wall in the hallway is now a different color. As Elisa was still missing on February 14th when the video was released, 
several theories began to be floated about her strange behavior in the elevator. Some immediately theorized that her actions where she seemed to be hiding were most likely in response to someone following her. But no one else is seen on the video. Some then speculated that perhaps the person following her and who might have been responsible for her disappearance was a hotel employee who would know how to avoid the surveillance cameras. At first, the LAPD treated the case as one of suspicious circumstances and speculated that Elisa may have met with foul play. However, there was no evidence that a violent crime had taken place in her room as nothing seemed to be out of place. Others speculated that her bizarre behavior may have been the result of Elisa being under the influence of drugs, like ecstasy or a hallucinogen. One of the most creative theories put forward was that Elisa was playing the paranormal elevator game, popularized in Korea. A person playing this game attempts to travel to another dimension by way of an elevator. I kid you not. Later, when Elisa Lam's diagnosis of mental illness was discovered, some explained her behavior as some type of psychotic break. Still, there was no sign of Elisa. Then on February 19th, almost three weeks after Elisa's disappearance, a guest complained of the hotel water looking and tasting strange. Guests had also been complaining of low water pressure in the building for several days. A maintenance worker was sent up to inspect the four 1,000-gallon water tanks located on the roof of the building. As he looked down into one of them, he discovered the body of Elisa Lamb, floating face up. She was naked, and clothing similar to those she was wearing in the elevator footage was found floating nearby. Her watch and room key were also found in the water, although her cell phone was missing. The autopsy would reveal that Elisa had been in the water for some time. No evidence of violent trauma was found on her body, and the medical examiner concluded that she had not been sexually assaulted. Toxicology tests would find no illicit drugs and only a trace amount of alcohol. Although complete toxicology tests could not be completed because not enough blood was preserved, Traces of prescription medications Elisa took for her bipolar disorder were discovered. Traces of Effexor, an antidepressant, Lamictal, a mood stabilizer, Seroquel, an antipsychotic, and Dexedrine, a stimulant, were all present in her bloodstream. Criticisms were made about the investigation beginning with the fact that not every room in the hotel was searched when Elisa went missing. Some believed that she may have been killed by someone in the hotel, hidden in another room, and then taken to the roof and concealed in the water tank later. Dogs were used to help in the search, but they did not alert on the roof to Elisa's scent. This is surprising, since search dogs generally can sniff out even faint traces of scents they are presented with. Elisa was on the roof at some point, most likely on the day she went missing, so they should have alerted on her scent. This is one reason that some believe she was put in the tank later. Another explanation could be that the dogs were given an item to track that did not contain enough of Elisa's scent or that the dogs had not searched the roof. The autopsy report concluded that Elisa Lamb died as a result of drowning with bipolar disorder as a significant factor in her death. This has been questioned by those who suspect that Elisa may have been the victim of homicide. The autopsy does not state what the results of a rape kit that was taken were or if there were results from fingernail scrapings. Of course, many of these forensic tests may have been returned with inconclusive results, if they could be conducted at all, 
due to the length of time the body had been submerged in the water and the state of decomposition. The fact that Elisa was found unclothed adds to the mystery. Some speculate that this is an indication that Elisa was the victim of an attack. Her clothes were found in the water near her, so the question remains, was she raped and then thrown into the water tank and her clothes tossed in after? Or did she remove her clothes herself and put herself into the tank? The biggest part of the mystery for most is where her body was found. Why would she voluntarily place herself inside a water tank? If she was suicidal, this would be a very bizarre way to end her life. In part one of this series, I told you about a number of suicides that took place over the years at the Cecil, almost all of them as a result of jumping out of the building, none by drowning, and certainly not inside a water tank. There is the question of whether or not Elisa could have gotten into the tank by herself. First, we have to look at how she could have gained access to the roof where the tanks were located. There are four ways to access the Cecil Hotel's roof. Three of these are by exterior fire escapes, which are located on three sides of the building and extend from the first floor to the top of the hotel. The fourth way is through an interior staircase that can be accessed from the 14th floor to the roof. After Elisa's body was found, hotel representatives stated that the doors to the stairway that led to the roof were always kept locked and that only staff members had passcodes and keys to access them. If anyone tried to force the doors open, an alarm would have been triggered, hotel management reported. However, this assertion seems to have been debunked when a man visited the hotel after Lisa's death and recorded a video showing him easily accessing the roof by way of the fire escape and through unlocked doors. No alarms were triggered. The Cecil Hotel's water tanks are small, about 10 feet high and approximately 6 feet in diameter, according to a deposition given by a hotel spokesperson. Even without a ladder, Elisa could have easily reached the top as there are concrete walls and a runged barrier next to the tank that could be used to climb to the top where the hatch was located. I've included a photo in the show notes for you to see for yourself. Some have mistakenly reported that the tank lid would have been too heavy for the petite girl to lift by herself. In fact, the lids to the tanks are made of thin sheet metal. As well, at least two of the tank's lids were open at the time the discovery of the body was made, so it's almost certain that they were not routinely closed. The opening into the tank was small, so small that in order to recover the body, a hole had to be cut into the side of the water tank. It would have been almost impossible for a person to force another inside the water tank opening without causing injuries like cuts or bruises, none of which were found on Elisa's body. Since the medical examiner concluded that Elisa's death was a result of drowning, I assume that means she died inside of the water tank. If she did not go into the tank voluntarily, that would mean that she had to have complied with someone else's directions without much of a struggle. Another detail that points to homicide, some say, is that although her cell phone was missing, her Tumblr account kept posting updates for a few days after she disappeared. One explanation I've read is that she may have used Tumblr's Q option, which allows posts to be scheduled ahead of time and published at a future time and date. Other explanations are that someone else created the posts and then sent them with her missing cell phone, or that her account was hacked. The posts are all similar to her previous ones, so this seems unlikely. One detail I did not see mentioned was that she wrote about losing a cell phone 
two days before she went missing. Whether she had more than one cell phone, I don't know. This is another mystery. I'm sure others who followed this case have spent many hours researching these details, and if you've come across some more information on this and know for sure, feel free to share that on the Facebook page. But of course, what makes this case so chilling and mysterious is the elevator video. Even now, five years later, people continue to discuss and speculate what happened on the day Elisa Lam disappeared and what her behavior in the elevator video means. Was she experiencing a manic episode or perhaps a psychotic break as a result of failing or forgetting to take her prescribed medications while she was traveling? Did this cause her to believe she was being followed and or that there was actually someone else present with her in the elevator, as her gestures might have suggested? Symptoms of a manic episode can include psychomotor agitation. This is a series of unintentional or purposeless motions of the hands, arms, feet, etc., like hand-wringing, pacing, rocking of the body, and removing of the clothes. Symptoms of severe manic episodes can also include paranoia, hallucinations, delusions, and psychosis. Perhaps the symptoms were beginning to present themselves when her hotel roommates reported her odd behavior to the hotel management. Or was she, in reality, being followed by someone who was not captured by the video camera? These are mysteries that continue to be debated online. The elevator video continues to be viewed even five years later. It has now been downloaded on YouTube over 21 million times. Elisa Lam's parents filed a wrongful death lawsuit, claiming that the hotel failed to inspect and seek out hazards that posed an unreasonable risk of danger to their daughter and other hotel guests. The hotel responded to the suit, asserting that they could have not reasonably foreseen that Elisa Lam might enter the water tanks. And since they still didn't know how she'd gain access, no liability could be assigned for its prevention. The suit was dismissed by the court in 2015. Two guests of the hotel sued in 2013, stating that they had been sickened by drinking the contaminated water. The water tanks on the roof of the Cecil provided water for the taps throughout the hotel's guest rooms, as well as the lobby cafe. While tests were conducted on the hotel's water supply and deemed to be uncontaminated, the suit was filed to receive reimbursement for the plaintiff's hotel stay, as well as for repayment of medical costs and for pain and suffering the suit was settled out of court. Some other strange connections to Elisa Lam's death at the Cecil have also found their way into popular culture. Some have pointed to the strange coincidence in the plotline of the 2002 Japanese horror film Dark Water to the Elisa Lam case. I discussed this movie and its connection to this case on episode number 27 of the podcast The TX Files. Check out that podcast if you're interested in creepy tales. The area around the Cecil Hotel has undergone a recent renaissance. The neighborhood once considered urban blight has become home to trendy restaurants, fashion boutiques, and coffee houses. Developers have invested in the resurgence of the area. The Cecil, in response, has undergone a resurgence of its own. In 2011, the hotel was rebranded as the Stay on Main and underwent a minor renovation, but still served as a budget hotel. In 2014, it was sold to a New York developer for $30 million. 
another New York-based firm acquired a 99-year ground lease on the property. The developer, Simon Barron Development, committed to keeping the historical architecture of the original 1924 building, like the Art Deco lobby, but had grand plans for the rest of the hotel, including a rooftop pool, gym, and lounge. Construction is set to be completed in 2019 at a cost of about $100 million. In 2017, the Los Angeles City Council voted to deem the Cecil Hotel a historic building. The Cecil has now begun to be converted into 301 co-living micro-unit properties. Tenants will be matched using a software program that takes into account an individual's lifestyle, habits, and preferences in a roommate. This concept has been utilized in large urban areas like New York, where apartments are pricey and sharing a unit makes rent more affordable. Space inside the units is divided into two rooms and a bathroom, but lounges and dining areas are communal and shared by all the tenants in common areas of the building. This creates an apartment building slash hotel mashup to cater to the needs of younger, single urban professionals and others. No word yet on what the rental rate will be on these co-living units. They are scheduled to begin leasing in 2020. You can no longer book a room at the Cecil as it is under renovation. But if you could, would you? Do the many tragic events, infamous guests, and creepy happenings make you eager to experience the hotel for yourself or cause you to stay away? I'm curious to see if there are any other weird events that take place once it reopens. Will its new tenants see a continuation of these events, or is this a new chapter for the Cecil? This remains to be seen. That will do it for this last episode of Season 2 of Once Upon a Crime. I'll be back with new episodes on July 2nd, but in the meantime, join Patreon for as little as $2 per month to get bonus episodes. As of right now, there are eight bonus episodes available. You will also get a thank you gift. New items are being created right now for each level. Go to patreon.com slash onceuponacrime. Thanks for your support. Once Upon a Crime is written, produced, and edited by me, Esther Ludlow. Until next time, be good to one another. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.